Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your downtime, whenever you get the chance to take a moment. In this episode, I'm joined by actor, performer, director and producer Chris Rankin. For 11 years, Chris played the role of Percy Weasley in the Harry Potter franchise. He now lives in South Wales, but once upon a time, we actually went to school together. We sit down for a long overdue catch up about Harry Potter, well-being and Chris's allyship to the LGBTQ plus community. It's an absolute joy to catch up with you after all these years. It's 20, 20, uh, 20 I think I'm trying to remember if the last time I saw you was when we did. It must, was it, it must have been Into the Woods. It must have been the last play at Northgate High School before I went off into college. Yeah. So year, yeah, year 11. That, yeah, Jesus Christ Superstar was my year 11. I mean, we do need to talk about Jesus Christ Superstar because I you mean, did play. Ginger did Jesus. Not, I a did. Ginger Jesus. Yeah, it was a big thing back in the day. But our plays, we had a reputation. At I our think school. we did. Yeah. They were epic productions. <laughs> yeah, they were. I, I look back on it, I think, were they that good? Or were we like, is this small town thing? Is this like. It was Big Baderum, or were we kind of going above and beyond what would be expected? And I think still, I went to see a um, high school production of Grease that a kid I worked with who I directed in a BBC short he was doing at his high school. I went to support him. He was playing Danny. And I kind of went in going, oh, I remember doing Grease at school. And and it was, it was, his was, a it was great, but it was a high school show. I was like, okay, yeah, we did, we did go above and beyond uh, every possible oh, 100%, opportunity. hundred percent. We had sand on the, on the we stage. Had, yeah, five tonne of sand, sand. And scaffolding and like. And roller skates for Forbidden Planet. Sk- the dance routines, the songs, like we really went all out. And what's your yeah. overriding memory of that, of that five years at Northgate and those plays? I mean, my overriding memory of those five years at Northgate was that it was just all about drama <laughs> for me. Like I was, yeah. I was the musical theatre kid. I was in the orchestra, I was in the bands, I was in the choirs. I, was, I did all of that. Doing the musical theatre stuff was like that was life. And I did the youth theatre in Deerham as well, which was essentially like a weekend that. extension to Northgate High School, really. So yeah, that was life. I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. And I think it was, I think it set a lot of us up. That was your path. That was you knew you knew back then. You would never have taken a role like Jesus in Jesus Christ Superstar in a school play, or been in every single one for the whole did, yeah, five I years. You did, did every I, single. I one. did all of them from Bugsy Malone onwards. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it really set us up because I went off to do drama at uni because yeah, it. I mean you know slightly different. You went off to I went off know, to Hogwarts, not to Hogwarts, Hogwarts slightly different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've just had that twenty-year reunion. I mean, twenty yeah. years. Did you have any kind of sense when you were going into it that this was going to be? such a life-changing massive thing um I think on on the surface absolutely not I think looking back in hindsight you go well of course it of course it was always going to be huge it was you know a it was Harry Potter and b it was Warner Brothers and you know it was a lot of money in a big series that they were making so of course it was going to be something that was still talked about 20 years later but I don't know if I was naive but I think they did I'm pretty sure they played it very cool with us and kept us kind of like we're just having fun we're just dressing up and pretending to be wizards and you know somebody's going to point a camera at you and it's all cool and then this film came out and it yeah it hasn't hasn't gone anywhere that first year of filming it was yeah I think we were just locked in a studio I don't I don't remember ever thinking this is going to be some kind of insane thing that's literally going to take over my life forever you know if you go to, if you're in the right place at the right in the right place surrounded by the right people it's a huge huge thing 
And I know you go to a lot of the kind of Comic Cons and, yeah. and things like that. That must be lush to meet loads of fans and to to be in that world again. It's a lot of fun, and I think it's what's nice about it, and what I really like about it is that it means so much to people. It re- I mean, it really does. Those books changed people's lives. Those films changed people's lives, and it's it's um it's it's weird now, actually, twenty years on, that our age group are the kind of the top of the original OG Harry Potter fans who are reading it when they were the right age to really be reading it sort of you know 12 13 14 they're passing it down to their kids bonkers to be a part of something to, to go from the the little school plays in Deerham in Norfolk to be part of something that is like a legacy to people and as you say it means so much I mean I I, I don't know anything similar that people are so unapologetically gushy about people of all ages shouting it from the rooftops unashamedly proud yeah Yeah, unashamedly and I think it's okay to be because it is literally everywhere you know it's in Primark it's in everywhere this Christmas it's like every brand has got some kind of Harry Potter licensing deal on at the moment but and that's great you know it's still there and it's still as relevant now as it was 20 years ago not many things stand films especially don't stand up that long as British people, we are horrendous at being proud of ourselves. So do you yeah. find it? And you actually said to me before we started recording, when I said, oh, you know, it's your accomplishments have got you here. And you were like, no, no, no it's just being ginger and in the right place. But so do you not find it easy to be proud of your accomplishments? I, I am. I'm incredibly proud of it. But I still think that a lot of it was happenstance and and luck. Yeah, I, it's an odd. It's a really odd one, because especially for something like. Harry Potter where they were they were open casting and you know I got I got the part for writing for Newsround like like a competition winner like you know right who's gonna be in your film (laughs) well it was like almost it was essentially in 12 words or less on the back of a postcard writing why you'd want to be in Harry Potter and I wrote off this letter to like to Newsround to Lizo Mazimba basically going I want to play Percy Weasley because I'm a school prefect and I'm ginger and I'm too old to play any of the others but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the process was of it going from me writing a letter to Newsround to suddenly getting an audition to like five days later getting the part. I don't know what the sort of in-betweens are. So for me, it was like, oh, right, he fits in. Done. There we go. Yeah, but isn't that interesting that that's the way that you view it? Whereas a, an outsider would view it as you took a chance, you wrote that letter. You Some people would say, oh, they're doing a casting for that. Oh, I'd love to be in that film and yeah. then not do anything with it. You took a leap. That's yeah. huge. And you, you put yourself out there potentially for rejection. And actually it went somewhere. That's a huge learning example that we should all just take. Say yes. Just say yes. Absolutely. That's what I, do. I, say, I do. I say yes to everything. Just doesn't always work out well but you know you live and you learn don't you like what's the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to go well that wasn't that wasn't the best thing I've ever done I don't know if all community healthcare settings have as many diehard Harry Potter fans as we have in ours based on our 20 year history I'm going to need a little something from you a little behind the scenes something that you can give me a bit of gossip what have you got for me I mean, the big one that's doing the rounds at the moment, because it was talked about, I think, on around the 20th anniversary thing, is the whole Peeves, the poltergeist thing. Big character in the books, you know, pesky ghost of Hogwarts that, you know, causes havoc. He's a poltergeist and he's, you know, sort of a joker, I guess. And he was in the original film script. Like, he doesn't appear anywhere in the film. And we filmed, well, I certainly filmed two or three scenes 
with Peeves the Poltergeist. There's a whole bit, the, the sort of the Percy bit in the first film where I take the first years up to the Gryffindor common room and we do the, mar- the moving staircases and all of that and the password. And um, there's a whole bit in there where we meet Peeves the Poltergeist and he's chucking walking sticks and all sorts of things at the first years. And I thought, Peeves, must we have this and introduce him and stuff? And it was played by Rick Mail. Ah, oh, stop. I was like awestruck at meeting Rick Mail. I think everybody was awestruck at meeting Rick Mail. And normally when we were filming stuff with ghosts, like that's all computer wizardry. Um, what? So that's brand new information. I'm sorry to like <laughs> put that out there, but um, yeah, no, like we'd, we'd film it all. Like for instance, I, I, three or four bits of dialogue with John Cleese as nearly headless Nick. Never met him, never saw him. So normally there'd just be some random person stood behind the camera reading the lines for the ghosts and then they obviously get sort of inserted later but rick mail came to gloucester cathedral and stood behind the camera and did rick mail for us for like oh two weeks God. just shouted you know abuse at a load of kids and he was the most wonderful human being i think i've ever met he was just everything you'd want him to be and then they cut peeves the poltergeist from the films and we were, like literally everybody is devastated by this still 20 years on it is the thing that you talk to an audience and you go, yeah, the piece of Poltergeist was in it. And it was played by Rick Mail. And they go, oh, yeah. why did they cut this? And even why Chris did they Columbus cut it, though? Time, I think. Uh, just He's just one character too many and he doesn't move the plot forwards. But he's Rick Mail, so that Rick shouldn't Mail. matter. <laughs> and especially now he's not with us. You know, it's know. like, we need to bring him back. But there was a lot of interviews I noticed recently with Chris Columbus, who directed the first two films, where he's saying, the one thing I really wish we could do was put those scenes back in i wish we could release a cut that had that in Aww. so maybe one day maybe one day it'll happen but that's my that is my favorite kind of bit because it's the bit that nobody's ever seen yeah so, oh what a privilege to have had was, that experience yeah, with him fun. he signed he signed i've got somewhere and i think it's at my mum's i've got a harry potter book that everybody signed and that was one of the you know it was one of the things we did on the first film especially was every time you got to meet someone you'd get them to sign it so it's signed by maggie smith and alan rickman and richard harris and everybody but rick mail signed it and it says dear chris quite the finest actor i've ever slept with love rick oh and my then god he's crossed I out slept and written worked above it. it's just <laughs> yeah he was a, he was a joy so that's that uh, yeah i guess that's my kind of little tidbit from behind the scenes i'll take that thank you very much yeah i'll take that for our fans that's lovely thanks <laughs> the weird thing is is of course is what i realized is having not seen you for 20 years like at the time i wasn't allowed to talk to anybody about anything i mean i think ndas are a sort of a thing that everyone's a bit more used to these days but back then it was like we were sworn to secrecy virtually on pain of death but like you <laughs> cannot tell anybody like i couldn't even tell anybody i was in it as far as everyone else was concerned, realistically, I just disappeared. That's mad, isn't it? No, I, I, do, I definitely do remember you coming back and everyone just being like, that's so cool. Because it was, it was really cool. You know, you're from a small town and you sent off yeah. that thing and that's changed your life forever. I love performing, but I love performing live. I'm happiest when I'm on a stage in front of an audience. That's that's my heaven, really. Put me in front of a camera and it's a, it's enjoyable, but it's a really different process. Like it's it's technical because you are reliant on everything coming together at the same time, you know. Live performances give you a real 
ability to think on your feet, to turn on a sixpence when something goes wrong, to pick yourself back up and get on with it. You know, we've all had those moments. And granted, I only did it at school, but where you forget a line or you miss a step and you just you have that moment of doubt you're like oh my god what have I done I've ruined it I can't do this anymore but because it's live you have to pick yourself back up and get on with it and that is a huge skill to take into adulthood healthcare professionals are taught to be very reflective it's part of their learning so it's what would you do differently what would you do better next time and I imagine that being an actor and a performer must be a quite a self-critical job as well how do you quieten that self-critical voice after you've had a difficult day or difficult performance it it can be really difficult in in the performing world we have this unfortunate thing of critics reviews and social media which fortunately most of the time I think in healthcare settings you don't get you know you don't treat somebody as a patient for them to then write a sort of review of your care plan in the paper afterwards and that can be that can be really tricky to deal with you know you and you hear it all the time actors don't read reviews I don't really of course you know you are always curious to know what people think about you because all you want to hear is that people think you are wonderful you don't want to hear when they think you are terrible and that can be it can be tricky if people go eh but you know what for every one person that goes meh there's five six hundred people whatever in that audience who already enjoyed themselves you know and I guess it's a bit in in a similar way I suppose every day is a new day in a healthcare setting to some degree or other you know you are doing the same stuff but with different people you know patients especially audience members whatever you know whatever that sort of crossover point is is you're going to go and do the same thing you did yesterday you're going to go and help people in some capacity I'm going to go and entertain people in some capacity but it's not normally going to be the same people I was entertaining yesterday and somebody yesterday might have had a bad experience but you know what that was yesterday there's nothing you can do about yesterday or how they personally felt about it you know you can't please all the people all the time but yeah you you go home at the end of the day as an actor and, and as a performer especially in live theatre or live performance where it has it's gone you know in tv if you're in front of a camera generally speaking you don't go home until you've got it right so that's a bit different but you always think about what you can do better you know as long as you as long as you're confident that you were doing the best you could at the time I think that is the reassurance I need self-compassion that's exactly what that is is that you say to yourself it didn't go quite to plan I could potentially have done it better but I did my best in that moment because of all of the extenuating circumstances and that's okay and then you get up and you do it again the next day and you you try your best and I think yeah that's there is a crossover I mean some people might think it's a tenuous link between healthcare and performing but I actually think there's a huge amount of crossover because you are naturally going to be self-critical but you have just described there what we're trying to help our clinicians to develop which is these techniques of self-compassion which is just saying like it didn't go to plan but I did my best and I'm going to pick myself up and try again yeah um I really I'm really keen to talk to you about LGBTQ plus because um at NCHNC we take a huge pride in fostering a welcoming safe environment to work in that's free from discrimination and a huge part of that is our staff pledging to be allies for our staff networks and I know that you are a fiercely vocal ally of the yeah, LGBTQ yeah. plus um, community. So what what does being an ally mean to you? That's it, it's a really interesting question because for me, it's second nature. I don't, I mean, I am an ally and I consider myself an ally, but at the same time, I don't consider myself an ally. I just consider myself a human being who sees that that's what you should do. You know, I'm an ally for the LGBTQ plus community as much as I am 
an ally for just human beings. Like we should just be nice to each other and accept that we're all a bit different. It's about nurturing a safe environment. The important thing that I find, and I think where I feel I can help the most is that supportive space of saying, like, I get it, I understand. And I am here if you need somebody to talk to or you need a safe space to be. If you need it, it's here. Yeah, you, do, you know, it's not necessarily all about standing at the front of the parade with a big placard. It's it's about your 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 safe space, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Does that stem from anything? I mean, have you experienced discrimination in your own life? I mean, not specifically. I mean, you know, I, I grew up as a ginger kid. So let's face it, you know, it wasn't easy 100% of the time. Although I, I, compared to a lot of gingers, I know I had it very easy. You know, I think I, I've I've always been surrounded by queer people and gay people. And, you know, it's been it's been a part of my life really as long as I can remember. And, I, and that's probably, a, you know, without daubing it quite so stereotypically but you know I grew up surrounded by the performing arts and that's a place that has always been a safe space for the LGBTQ plus community you know and and it's always it's always been there and a lot of the people who are huge influences in my life are people from the LGBTQ community but it's always been a safe space for me and in return I feel like I want my world to be a safe space for that community too like it it goes both ways so Mm. You created with your partner Ness the the House of Chris Ness. Then is yes. that something that you wanted to kind of that safe space that you describe? Is that something you wanted to kind of physicalize? I mean, if we if we had the money and <laughs> and the ability to do it, I think what we would love is just to have a big mansion house that was just like a literal a literal safe house. Like if you needed somewhere to be, there would be a space for you here. Physically, we don't have the space. Mentally, we do, and I think. That would be the dream would be to adopt all the little people that need the help and the support and somewhere to, you know, somewhere to call home. Uh, because that is, you know, that's a huge problem, um, especially with with young people is, you know, there's a lot of problems with people coming out. And and especially I think I think what's changed a lot since since we were teenagers was it was quite sexuality was quite binary. And if I'm honest, I don't remember any kids at school being gay. No, I mean, no, no, I, know, I know I know some of them now that are and have come out since but I don't remember there being any openly gay people at school 20 years ago it just wasn't a thing that people were comfortable being there, there, there were no role models I mean what no. you know like you said we were watching news round and we were watching Grange Hill and we you know there was never anything about sexuality at all I don't remember anything being being tackled we were still coming out the back of section 28 then you know when it wasn't allowed yeah, to be talked exactly school. yeah so but look uh, at shows like Sex Education, you know, coming yeah. out with all of these different characters and the whole discussion about non-binary and girls go that yeah. way and boys go that way. And those two students who are like, well, I don't, where do I go then? Yeah. And it, that that whole conversation, you know, to be a young person now growing up watching shows like that and realising that there are people you can identify with. It's, it's incredibly important. And I think that's where the House of Chris Ness kind of started from was that, you know, Ness comes with me to all my events wherever like we go all over the world and you meet kids say kids but like from 11 to I don't know, 25 <laughs> you know they're young people who say and have done for years you know Harry Potter was a safe space for me because Harry this whole story about Harry Potter is about this kid who was the sort of the outsider who finds his people that's one of the reasons I think why a large number of LGBTQ young people have sort of attached themselves to the Harry Potter fandom so strongly 
because it's all about Hogwarts is a home for anybody who needs it, you know, and there's there's a lot of kind of there's a lot of things in there that may have have made and I hope will continue to make them feel like it's a safe space to be. And that's one of the things that I feel quite strongly about is making sure Harry Potter remains a safe place mm. for people who need it. So the, the fact that there isn't, let's say there isn't an openly gay character who's who's sort of says out loud, I'm gay. And yet the community has flocked to it because it's this safe space. It shows that it doesn't matter who you are. There is this safe and, and escaping a family who don't understand you yeah. and finding your tribe. And I find it really interesting that there doesn't need to be an openly gay character no. or an, an openly non-binary character in there for that to happen. Yeah. I think yeah. that's great. Pot, the Potter fandom has an incredibly creative spark. So they they find they, they write their own stuff. You know, there's all sorts of the fan fiction world and the cosplay world and or these creative worlds where they they mold the the characters into the role models they're looking for in that. So there's this whole um, call it Moonstar. It's slash fiction theory, which is que queering characters within a story about Remus Lupin, the werewolf moon, and Sirius Black, about them being a queer couple of some description, whether they're bi or gay or whatever. So there's like there's things like that within the Harry Potter fan community where people kind of read into these characters further than probably even further than the author has. In fact, certainly further than the author has and sort of pick out nuanced little things about their relationships as friends or whatever, you know, like there's the whole the Marauder storyline, which is Potter's dad and Sirius and Lupin and uh, Peter Pettigrew and looking at what their relationship is for men who spent a lot of time together and what what was their relationship and kind of reading further into it and delving into unknown stuff that hasn't been written about and kind of making it up for themselves it is really interesting how far do you think we have come in terms of allyship uh, we can always do more for me as an ally it is it, it's, it comes down to the same thing of just being accepting of something that isn't the same as you and that's yeah. that's all it comes down to is going okay that's not me but that's them and let's make it okay for them as much as it is for me thank you for listening to take a moment with nchc if you've enjoyed this podcast please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes you can also follow NCHC on all social media channels.